0: Pushing Back Chaos with
1: Mel and Mike and Raph. Welcome back to another episode of Pushing Back Chaos with me, Paul Mellon McFadden. Joined as usual by my two legends, great men, clear-sighted and well-spoken, Raph Espinosa. How are you, mate? I
0: thought you were going to say Mike. Oh, shit. That's funny. Uh, Then I was going to call you a liar. Uh, I'm good man. I'm uh just chilling in San Francisco on an overnight. Um yeah, and then you you clowns woke me up. I was trying to get my beauty sleep, but uh I uh I committed to uh whatever time I had to wake up, so I did the thing. I'd like I'd like that uh, I'd like to get some credit for uh, not being late today.
1: Oh, yeah, true. Good work. It's pretty funny yeah. raf you're just getting up starting your day. I've had a whole day at work, finished, came home, had to delay to start to to sync up, but the the breaks that's what it that's what it takes when you got literally three different uh corners of the world and mike how you going buddy how's your
2: week been uh it was a it was a long week i'll put it at that but uh no it, it, it's kind of nice uh this is our what three episodes that we all haven't kind of been together we we, we had a great guest on uh we had hammy on the last two episodes and uh Hopefully everybody really enjoyed those. I, I know we did And having those conversations. He's so well-spoken. He's like a human thesaurus and named him Hamicles for some of his philosophies. But now, Hammy, if you're listening, man, thanks for coming on. And it was just really great to have you. And I'm sure we'll have you on again in the future and been hearing nothing but great reviews uh, from those two topics and everything else. But uh, I'm not going to come in too spicy this time. Uh, honestly, it's just kind of nice to have you both uh, back here, and uh, you know talk about I think something kind of tough today, which you know the last couple have been really really good <coughs> reasons, but we always like to tackle the the tough stuff as well
1: so um maybe wrath it, it's a it's a tough topic, and tough topics are sort of what we're about here, you know, like looking into the corners maybe we don't look into in our own lives and in our society. And so maybe you can just uh, kick us off your breath and let us know where we're going to start tonight.
0: Yeah. So we were having the conversation about, uh, we're just kind of throwing around topics or topic ideas. And I suggested that, you know, we kind of come forward with something that we see, you know, like that that might be near and dear to our hearts, like individually. And, uh, I'd kind of shared with you guys the story, um, just how in the last couple of years, like all these, I keep reading these stories and it's all just kind of congealing together. Where I start, it's, I start to started thinking that there just isn't enough attention or we're not talking about this openly. And I understand why. I mean, it's, it's a difficult subject and it's, it's, it's heavy. You know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're fucking, uh, a halfway decent human being, it's not something that uh, you probably want to think about. And it's some, you especially don't want to think that is actually happening. Unfortunately it is happening and it's happening at, at quite, quite large uh, of scale. So the the thing that I, that's near I should, I should watch how I, ref, I frame this, but uh, the thing that um, has bothered me for a while. And, and mostly because I feel like we're, there's not enough national or even world attention to it. Um, you know, in terms of like our lawmakers and and our law enforcement, that sort of thing is uh, human trafficking. And it's specifically human trafficking of minors. And I like I said, there are awesome private organizations that are out there trying to fight the good fight. Uh, We talked offline about one of Mike's buddies who kind of got into that world. So hats off to that guy. And I'll definitely put him in my prayer list because that's that's heavy. I mean, he's he's taken the lead on kicking down doors and rescuing, you know, minors in these bad situations. But this, if I just just a little bit of history. The first time this really hit me was in two thousand six, uh, maybe two thousand seven. I was stationed in South Korea, and I went to Cambodia with a uh, bunch of really good friends. Um, when we were walking through um, Angkor Wat, there was a there was you know little kids selling goats. There was kids selling knickknacks everywhere. But I remember just going, you know, steamy jungle in Cambodia and Angkor Wat. And it's just magnificent place. And obviously, you know, high as a kite, because you're just like, it's, it's such a magnificent place. And I'll right towards the end of me walking with my group of friends, there was a kid who just spoke really good English. And so we strike up a conversation and, you know, come to find out he's selling knickknacks. So I ended up buying a couple books. And one of them was on Anchor Watt. And then the other one that just kind of caught my attention was, it was just basically titled, you know, uh, sex trafficking. And I was like, fuck, man, that they're, they're not even trying to like mince words. Like, that's clearly what this book is about. And that was the book that opened my eyes to just how world, like just how large of a scale of an issue that is. And that book specifically um, talked about, like, it got, I wouldn't say it focused on Southwest Asia or Southeast Asia, but it it was written in part, um, the, like the deep dive of these of these authors and the information that they gathered really had to do with that area. And they basically said, in a global scale, and I'll just give a quick synopsis: in a global scale. Um, the biggest offenders of human trafficking were India, mostly uh, women from Nepal. And when I say women, that's a loose term. A lot of these girls are under the age of 18, like closer to 16 or 14, as as young as 10 have been documented. Um, and obviously their biggest crime is that they're one that they're like really, really poor, like like crazy poor. I mean, I'm talking like living in a slum, that sort of thing, and that they're pretty. Though that Literally, those were their two offenses, and that was enough for... For one families to try to sell them uh, or, and, and again, there's every region of the world is different, right? So places that where poverty is, is rife, a lot of, and, and trust me as a Western, as a Western individual, as a person who lives in a free country and a free society, I, I can't even like wrap my head around the idea of selling my son, right? Like again, to even say those words makes my skin crawl. Like I just the, I just to even say that shit out loud. So I can't. I'm not, there's no judgment when I say this, but this is happening in, in third world, you know, the cu- parts of the world are, are considered third world because um, the poverty is just so, so rife. And then you contrast that to the human trafficking that's happening in the United States. It's not necessarily driven by poverty. It's actually driven more by unstable homes, right? Like, and, and it's something that we, that we talk about all the time. So I call it beating the drum, but it's basically just fathers that are absent of homes. Um, whether you know or, or just just shit dads right like they might be abusive maybe they're you know just they're they're just not being um, leaders in the family they're not being good fathers They're not being good husbands and, and it basically just destroys the the, the nuclear of, of the families of the family and then these kids kind of fall away from that and they're basically just prey to the streets um, and so in the United States I think like uh, the statistics I've read from like the different organizations like DHS and there's another one called the Polaris Project. Um, I think the statistics I read from all those uh, was basically like one in five people being trafficked are usually children under the age of 18. So again, this is something that we're like, in the back of my mind, I don't understand why as a society, we're not outraged that this is so prevalent. Um you know it and there's like you can Google, you can look all these statistics up. Um right now, taking the lead on the most the, the highest cases of, of human trafficking that we know of, just in general. So we're not talking about just children, but just in general. But just remember, like one one in five are usually children. Uh right now, the the city with the with the largest number is San Diego. And because it's so close to Mexico, right? So a lot of the human trafficking and a lot of the exploitation of, of minors is happening as migrants are coming from the southern from the southern border into the United States, and so they're they're easy prey to the cartels. They're easy prey to all these criminal organizations. Um, as far as the three states that lead the highest rate of uh, human trafficking, meaning like the transaction of, of humans, like right, selling a, a woman to like some other asshole is uh California, Texas, and Florida um, and specifically around the, the major cities right Los Angeles, San Diego, Dallas, Texas, Houston, um, I forgot what Florida was um, but anyways, there's so much information out there regarding all this stuff. and I think the reason it's so it's so detrimental to our society is that you're we're literally kind of sacrificing, if you will, like the uh, innocence of a child, right? Like when when we sit back as a society, as men, as as women, as adults in a society, and we do nothing, or we do the bare minimum to uh, stop this, this scorn in society, like it fundamentally, I think we're just heading down a road where it's, we're just going to fall apart. I mean, I think we would all agree as adults that like children are our most prized fucking po- like not even possession i hate the word possession but it's they're the most prized thing that we have i mean this is our future this is you know you see the smile on a child and you thought and you think god man i i really hope you go on to do amazing things uh you know kind of carry the torch forward but we'll never be able to do that fully until we we really identify and go after how serious this issue is um and and again there's if you can go down the rabbit hole and there's millions of stories of of just these horrible, horrible events. And like I said, every, pla- every place geographically is a little different, right? So again, places like India, places like um, Belarus, you know, Eastern Europe, their reasons are a little different, right? Um, like internationally, I think Belarus is like one of the worst places for human atrocities. Like it's really bad. A lot of women are just lured into like jobs and then basically they're, they're, before they know they're in the hands of like, Mafioso types, and they're forced to traffic. They're, they're forced to just basically be, you know, prostitutes. Um, and a lot of them, at least in Eastern Europe, from what I've understand and what I've read, a lot of them aren't on the street. So it's not like they're. An op- it's not like it's an open store A lot of this is happening behind closed doors. So there's like specific brothels that you know, perverts basically know exist, and it's all underground, kind of black market stuff. But well, the reason R- I, I, yeah
2: sorry, Rev, I just kind of to, you know. You're throwing out a lot of statistics here. Um, I looked up some myself, and some from personal experiences, and, and talking with some some of the guys that you mentioned that that I, I know that you guys kind of met that have left uh, you know the uh, government side of things and going on private uh, groups and going to rescue children, or whatever. So, you you talked about Eastern Europe and Africa and, and South America about trafficking and whatever. But uh, question for you guys. <clears throat> And for the listeners, do you know who the number one producer of child sex trafficking is in the, like what country in the world? The number one producer. Wait, what do you mean? Well, what do you mean by producer? Like the number one, the number one country producing slavery uh, of children and sex trafficking of children to, to other places. The number
0: one country in the world. I think I read uh, the last time I read a and but this report was a little bit older. Um, I read Eritrea, which is a country in northern Africa.
2: Yeah, it's the United States. Uh, Okay. Do you know who the number one consumer of child sex slavery and trafficking is?
1: I'm. First world country,
2: I think. It's the United States. The United States is the number one producer and consumer of child sex slavery. And primarily moving across the southern part of the United States in the, in the three states: California, Texas, and uh uh Florida. Um, so that's a hard fact to hear, right? And we always think like, oh, that doesn't happen here. It doesn't happen in the West. That's always in Africa, yeah. India, South America. It doesn't happen here, right? And we live in this reality where we think like Oh, it's just in the movies. It's not real. It doesn't exist. Bullshit. It's 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 real, and and the three of us. I'm sure any time you've ever gone overseas and you're in a different country <clears throat> in a weird environment, you're always getting the country in brief where they're like, "Hey, there is a lot of sex trafficking happening around in this country, and as a uh, government, you know, soldier, you need to be mindful of what's going on here. One that you're not wrapped up in it. Two, you can recognize the signs and tell somebody." You know, because there's intelligence and, and groups going out trying to trying to do this stuff. Uh, so it, it happens all over. Uh, some other statistics, approximately, and, and this is just the United States, just real quick. 365,000 missing children in our country dis, uh, disappear each year. 27% of traffic, trafficking victims are children under the age of eight. Uh, traffickers can't be really defined about who they are. So there's this commonality that, well, it has to be the cartel or they have to be Latin or Spanish looking or whatever, because that's the southern border. Absolutely wrong. Uh, There are Russians, Chinese, uh, all kind of other ethnic groups that are into this business. This is a billion dollar business every single year. They have such a network in cyber and everything else, security, weapons, armament, like it's like it's like the drug cartel, but a whole other section of it that's a billion dollar business per year. Um, they uh, traffickers when they're looking to recruit people to do it for them. Again, everybody always thinks it's the bad guy, <clears throat> it's the bad person with a, a bad agenda, and they got guns and they're just evil, sick people. Again, not the truth. Traffickers can target family members, romantic partners, acquaintances, or even complete strangers and influence and angle them to say, you're either gonna do this or this will happen to you or your family and put them in a position where they can't say no and force them to do the their bidding, right? Think about it. If someone caught you and had, you know, a family member hostage or something and said, you're going to take these five children to this place, no questions asked, or you lose your entire family. It's not. It's not cut and dry and we can all say what we want, but imagine being in that situation Either at gunpoint or something else. That's how they're influencing these people, targets of opportunity. Uh, when they're looking for it, and some things to be aware of, and the people that they're targeting is uh, for the recruitment is a lot of it's fake opportunities. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. The number one target for uh, young children is women. Uh, there's 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 little boys and stuff that are taken too, but women. And it's, hey, we really love you. We want you to be a model for us. Show up at this time and come in this back weird room. Mm-hmm. We'll take some pictures and see what's going on. Uh, man, they kidnap people. They stick them with with drugs and, and get them high and get them addicted. And then they can't go anywhere. Uh, all of that. And it, it, it's crazy, man, just to, like, that's just off the top of my head and some some real quick Googling. Like, you can see all that, but Knowing guys that have been in that arena about doing sting operations and going out as former operators to go out and rescue children and some of the stories that they say, man, it is a silent war that nobody wants to talk about because it's uncomfortable. And, um, you know, the Super Bowl here in the States just happened a few weeks ago. And the last fact I'll throw out before you know hand it off, the number one sex trafficking day for children in the entire world every year is Super Bowl Sunday. Because the entire world, for the most part, watches it, has parties about it. A bunch of rich people get together at parties, and all these people flood these parties all over the world saying, hey, do you want women or do you want this other item that I possibly have too? And it's well known that it's the most busiest day and most money producing day of the year. Billions of dollars. So just think about that. That's real. That's not in a movie. That's not overseas. It's happening right here at home. And we're, and like Raph said, people just turn their blind eye to it and act like it doesn't exist.
1: Some pretty, yeah. horrendous, some pretty horrendous figures in there. Some of the other stuff that I saw as well while looking this episode was there's about 21 million people total in situations where they've been trafficked with this being the third biggest crime uh, uh by revenue in the world, number one being drugs, number two, arms trafficking, and then human trafficking. There's some pretty huge numbers where forced labor is a $150 billion a year industry, and that's with like 14 million people in it. And there's about four and a half being sexually exploited, and that is a $100 billion industry on its own. So the figures are mind-blowing, the size and the scale of them. And I also saw some of the stats that you were referring to there, uh, Mike and Raph about country of origin and country of, of the destination. And the destination countries are the first world countries because that's where the revenue is, that's where the money is. And it's, it's a sad dominant in all of our countries that that will be happening. And like this is an extremely tough thing to talk about, extremely tough. No,
0: no and it is, and if I could just kind of add to what Mike said you know um not everyone's going to have the skill set or the opportunity to like to be the the person kicking down doors and 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 trust me I fuck you can pay me enough money to do something like that um kick down doors and and rescue kids out of these situations because sometimes it's not that easy right it's a lot more complex than that and so there's got to be a lot of Kind of behind the scenes investigative work. Um, I was shared with you guys. I shared a story with you guys, and I'll share it with the public. Um, and you can—it's open source. You can Google this. Uh, there was a flight attendant, and this happened maybe six months ago. There was a flight attendant, and I can't remember what flight it was. It might have been Southwest. It might have been us. I—I I, I don't know. But it was a, a major airline, and they were uh, flying from whatever the destination was to whatever destination they were going to. And for, uh, when they interviewed this flight attendant, she just said something, something seemed off and she could not put her finger on it. And she said just that this this girl, it was a young girl, I think she was maybe 16 years old, maybe a little bit younger, but she said something her body language just just kind of conveyed this this uneasiness, this like you know, she was she just happened to be sitting next to this older, I think it was a white guy, an older guy who clearly just by looking at them, Looked like they had no relation, but you could tell that they were sitting together because they were traveling together. And you know, flight attendant. So she's seen that, you know millions of people come and go, and she she was able to pick up on her instinct. She was able to pick up on some cues, and she realized, or she just thought, man, something just isn't right. So at some point before the girl went to the bathroom, because she saw that she was getting up, she, the flight attendant rushed in and said, "Oh, hey, you know, real quick, I need to clean the lab Left while she's in there, she left a note and said. You know, honey, are you are you okay? Circle yes or no, and left the pen. The she comes out, and the girl, of course, circled. You know, I, I am in trouble. And uh, she, she leaves, and then the flight attendant goes back in, picks up the note, and she goes, "Yeah, okay, that that's you know, they, like everything's starting to like you know uh, come together." So, ended up notifying the flight crew and the captain, coordinated basically law enforcement to be ready to receive this this asshole. Once they landed, but the way they did it was amazing because they they basically coordinated the whole thing. So uh, once federal agencies were notified, they were waiting for the plane once it arrived. But they were waiting inside the terminal. So even the guy, like there's like he just didn't know, right? There wasn't like cops outside in the wings, like nothing to give it away. The guy just thought he got scot free, taking this girl from one city to the next to to sell her to do whatever the transaction was, and all it took was basically. What I really want to focus on, not the whole story, but really just this flight attendant. She just something wasn't right and she couldn't put her finger on it. And she just all she did was like, hey, here's an opportunity. Here's a note. Are you okay? Circle one or the other. Are you in any sort of danger? Is there something I can do to help you? That's all she did. And that probably took her fucking like 30 seconds to do. And she literally saved this young girl from I can only imagine a horrific life, whether it lasted three months or three years. I mean that's a scar that girl will never be able to to get rid of. You know, there's not enough therapy to ever forget about just this, that sort of thing. So I, I share that story because it should encourage and should embolden all of us to just just look for things. You know I mean just like, man, that doesn't seem right. I don't know why, but it doesn't seem right. And if you don't have the ability or the or the uh, faculty or or the tools to maybe stop whatever's happening, grab a license plate, call the cops, be like, hey, listen. I don't know why, but this girl just seemed scared. She was driving in this car and she's with an older whatever. And it just, it seemed odd. Here's a license plate. Would you mind just maybe investigating? You know, like, I mean, look, cops, law enforcement, they need leads too. You know, they're not in the right place at the right time all the day. Actually, most of the time, they're, it's not like that. It takes the public to kind of, um, to move some of this stuff forward. So I just, again, it, for me, it really just started back in that day in Cambodia. And then it just kind of really opened my mind to just how dark this world is, but also how, how big it is, how, how, how large the scale is and how prevalent it is. And it's, and it's fucking scary because I'm a father, you know, I, I couldn't even imagine my children, you know, my son falling into the the hands of a, of a, just a sick individual like that. You know, like I would want to kill anything within a hundred square miles, you know, just to, just to save him. So, um, anyways. We know it's a dark topic and we kind of went back and forth about talking about it. But to me, it's like one of those things that needs to be spoken about. And the other thing that like I think is interesting is that, you know, Epstein is a big is a big case that happened in the United States. We're talking about human trafficking. It just blows my mind that once that that uh, that court was over with or whatever. It was like no one ever talked about it again. But we know that the entire case was revolved around him of decades of trafficking young women and somehow it just ended with him like like our federal government was like okay we're done here nothing else to see here like that still bothers me it bothers me that the federal government has done nothing to go after the client list that we know that does exist uh and again this isn't i'm not wearing a fucking tin hat i'm not a uh i'm the furthest thing from a um Conspiracy theories. I really am the furthest thing from it. But it really bothers me that it's not in the public forum. This is such a serious nature that it should be in the public forum. And we should shame every son of a bitch that was involved in trafficking children. Yeah, right. Like, I don't give it. Yeah. Yeah,
2: exactly. Dude, exactly what we're talking about is some people just choose not to live in that reality. Right, and we're sitting there. It's just like, oh, here we go, conspiracy theorists. Oh, here we got a right winger. Here we got a Trumper. Here we got this. We got this. It's like, no, this is not about politics. This is about values and and, and what's really going on in our in our society and reality. And looking at it, a, you know, from an objective standpoint, it's just like, look, this is a real thing, and this is happening. You know, this isn't because I wanted so and so to win in politics or I want this person to be connected because, oh, you know, it has nothing to do with voting and has nothing to do with everything. These people are bad people, period. And if it was your child that got pulled in or your family member that got pulled in, your entire life is going is going to revolve around getting them back and getting justice for them, right? It's like you don't care about working anymore. You don't care about paying your bills, going out, having fun. If your child is missing, which I I God, I hope I never experienced or anything or anybody that's listening, I couldn't even imagine, especially, especially doing what I do. You know, I'm not trying to be funny, but it's kind of like I have a particular set of skills. You know, it's like, what's his name? Liam Liam Neeson with taken. You know, he's like, I will find you and I will kill you. (laughs) You know, like that's what that's what I feel. But that's where I feel my entire life would go, is I'm going to hunt this son of a bitch down and I'm going to make him pay and get my kid back. And that's, that's literally the purpose of the rest of my life until it happens. I can't imagine the struggle and pain and going what's on, but that is a reality that is not a tin hat uh, theory. It's not conspiracy theory. It's what's really happening. And uh, there's another list here. I'd just like that to go. And I love that story about the flight attendant RAF. And I just want to commend her. I don't even know her name. I don't care. But as a person, I want to commend her for standing up. And what's the quote? The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing, right? Who's that? Edmund Burke, I think. Uh, Absolutely true. And now we're in a society where, you know, there's somebody fighting in front of us. Instead of stopping and trying to, you know, stop it and, and, you know, or assist or help and for a better outcome, we pull out our phone and we just stand there and watch it. And, and, And we just stand idly by Well, this isn't my problem. You know, I don't need to do anything, but look at it. I'll record it. I'll put it on my story so everybody can look and make stupid, immature comments about it because they have no, they have no, uh, you know, (laughs) energy in the game. You know, It, it doesn't mean anything. And it's just, man, for her to do that and recognize the signs, some of the signs here, just a quick list up here and, uh, some questions that maybe you could do and it, maybe they're not all sex trafficking related or, or whatever. This could just be an abusive type thing and you want to help somebody. Uh, but some signs are, are they living with their employer? Uh, are there poor living conditions? Are multiple people cramped into a small space? Is there an inability to speak to the individual alone? Uh, answers appear to be scripted and rehearsed. Uh, employer is holding identity documents. Signs of physical abuse. Uh, they Their their body language is very submissive or fearful. Uh, are they unpaid or paid very little? And are they under 18 or possibly look like they're in prostitution, right? Those are just a few signs that you could recognize and go. And then kind of what this, uh, this flight attendant did is ask the question, but non-verbally and slipped in the note. But you can ask some questions if you have the opportunity. Hey, can you leave your job if you want to? Can you come home and go as you please? Have you been hurt or threatened if you tried to leave? Has your family been threatened? Do you live with your employer? Where do you sleep and where do you eat? Are you in debt to your employer or owe somebody money? Do you have your passport identification? If not, who has it? W- where? What is your identity, right? Those are just some basic signs and questions that you can get engaged in verbally, non-verbally written, however, whatever the best way. Uh, but man, I don't know if I could like live with myself because, you know, I shared before, I still struggle to this day. Um, what happened in Afghanistan uh, 11 years ago and uh, witnessing what I witnessed with a, a grown man in an Afghan village and a five-year-old boy and what, what I saw transpiring. Legally, I was not allowed to touch him. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I I get a little choked up when I talk about this. I'm, <laughs> I'm working through it. Um I legally couldn't do anything and I should have. And it's one of those things where I go back every day and I'm like I should have I should have fucking saved them. I should have done something. But if I did the possibility of me a living life in in federal prison was probably high because we were not allowed to do that by rules of law and and war and everything else. And, and my humanity bothers me when i think about this and i know if the opportunity ever presents itself again i know that i need to make the right decision even if it's the hard one and uh living with something like that is is not easy but I'll tell you what it does do is it brings me down to earth and helps me realize and focus on these types of real problems that are happening around. And I'll tell you when I'm with a when I'm with a child, like playing with them or um, watching them at the park or like anything, just doing little kid things, you know, letting them be children and having fun and and living in a protected uh, type environment and a loved environment. There's no better feeling to seeing that and when i when I see anything, anything, anyone that wants to come in and rob that child of their innocence i will I will hunt you down, and <laughs> I don't want to say what I want to say. I know this is public forum, but God help you and uh that's what we need to do. We need to have people that are active and pillars in this type of uh, world that we live in and be able to stand up and recognize these signs and take action and be good, righteous people, human beings first, not, not political parties, not male and female, not black and white. None of it is the human factor. We need to be good human beings in our pursuit to stop this evil that, that lives here right in our backyard.
1: I've been um, pretty quiet during this conversation. And I really I'll take my hat off to the two of you guys for talking so candidly on these topics. And I know that you're a person with a certain skill set might and I have no doubt that you would do everything you've just said and more. And it'd be a righteous delivery of justice. If that did come come about and the people that you know that work in that industry, as Raf said, they're in our prayers because that's a very dark part of humanity and people who do that. And doing something very special for the rest of us, and taking risks and exposing themselves to darkness. And hats off to them. Where I wanted to focus was just that quote that you had, Mike, about the only thing we need that is needed for people to prosper is for good men to do nothing. And it's where all of us in our day to day have the option and the ability to follow our intuition and to be observant and that as as adults all of us have got enough experience now if we are present in the moment where our senses are alert we're taking in information for our intuition to process stuff when things are a bit off and it might not be one of these very extreme situations it could just be the opportunity to speak up and ask someone at a bar if they're okay it could be a feeling that something unusual is happening down that side of the street, and maybe you could go over and check if that kid over there is okay. And you know, you do not are not necessarily doing by putting yourself in a, in a risk in a risky situation. But if you're alert and you're paying attention, and you allow your intuition to process this stuff, you'll often have a gut feel, like Raph has described, this female flight attendant probably couldn't describe any one thing that caused her to write a note and put it down. But it was exactly the right thing that needed to be done. And if she hadn't done that, the opportunity is gone. I've got a friends who've been, who've worked in bars and they've had a feeling that a, a guy's attentions are unwanted by women. And they've like written on the back of a, a, a drink coaster, you know, are you okay? If you're not okay, order this drink. Just little things that, can give someone the opportunity to speak when they feel that they can't speak, and it might not be the heights of human suffering that we're referring to here with, you know, child sex trafficking. But it could be that just that small intervention and that small engagement, rather than turning like turning towards rather than turning away. I think before we started, Ralph was talking about like a big city response of this is my problem, I'm not going to look at it. We don't have to have that. We can keep our eyes open and keep our senses open. We can follow our intuition and it's going to be pretty reliable. And that first little interaction, you're going to get some feedback and, you know, you're going to be like, okay, there's nothing to worry about here or, you know, I can step in and I can, I can make a difference. Like facing down the schoolyard bully in backing someone up. Like it doesn't have to be gigantic, but it can be something that makes a real difference for that person in that situation, because the impact on the individual is something that is huge in all of these areas. and, you know, you might be dreaming of yourself acting like the operator friends of Mike going in and dealing out justice like Liam Neeson to these guys. But most likely that's not us. Most likely we can be the eyes and ears and people taking a photo of a number plate or making a phone call or just checking if someone's okay and like being attentive to the information that's there to be seen. Because without that that initial interaction, there's going to be a lot of opportunities missed. But personally, I've been finding this a very hard topic. I've been finding it a very hard topic to so listen to this. You know, as a as a father, certainly you think about your own kids.
0: right? Yeah, I was going to say. You know, I don't want to leave the topic in such a dark. It is a dark topic, and, and it's a, and it's heavy because it's it's real, right? It's visceral. It hits everybody. There's it like like Mike was alluding to it. It transcends every barrier that we've set up in our society, right? Race, gender, political affiliation, all that crap. But I will say, I the more I thought about this uh, when we were talking about the topic of ideas, you know, the solution to all this, like, obviously, the, the solution for once it's happening is to try to stop it. And that takes a concerted effort from the entire, from everybody, like all, like you said, all the adults to be able to do what they do. But I, I think... The key, though, is prevention, and the way to prevent kids from falling prey is, and again, just speaking as a man, is love your goddamn children. Like, love your children. Engage with them. Be part of their life. Give them – be that person where that where they – are when they do get into some sort of trouble, like, they're not afraid to ask for help. Like, hey, dad, I – you know, whatever it is. Like, just – Just be that person in their life or not necessarily just your children, just anybody's children. Be that person in their life where if they ever feel like they're in trouble, you're a lifeline versus like I'm ashamed, you know, and I don't want to reach out to so and so because they're going to think I'm whatever, you know. Uh, But it really just starts with genuinely loving your children, like just giving them that sense of worth, because a lot of uh, because I've watched. Uh, there's a, a podcast called the soft white underbelly and it's this guy who's been doing it for like i think almost a decade at least 5 years he was on the Joe Rogan podcast and he and he films a lot of people that live in Skid Row you know in Los Angeles and it's it's the you know that the uh, unwanted types right so a lot of prostitutes a lot of porn stars a lot of um uh like just junkies and and gang members and just people that live in that you know the fringe of the society and of course in that mix is are also pimps, and he'll just ask, like he basically just asks, ask them to, you know, to tell them about themselves, and without fail, like they'll literally talk, talk, talk about themselves, and they'll talk about whatever it is that they're that they're into. And these pimps, almost all, all, all of them, say the same thing. They basically look for a broken child slash woman, right? When they're looking for a candidate to be to be their prostitute or to be their 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 thing. Um, they almost always look for the specific traits that, like a runaway child or a child that comes from a broken home that doesn't have a father that loves them, that doesn't have a mother that you know spends time with them. Like it's these these traits where they they just they feel unwanted, right? They feel like, well, what's it fucking matter if I just go and and turn tricks in the corner? You know, like my family doesn't love me, so I guess this is my this is what I'm destined to, right? They accept this, they accept this life as it's just you know it's what I'm worth. And the way you defeat that is by loving your fucking children. You love them so that they know that they're worth everything and more, right? Because if you have self-worth, even if you get caught in that situation, just it's it's human nature. You're going to try to fight your way out of that, right? Like if I find myself in a bad place and I know like, oh man, this is a really tough place. Listen, I know what I'm worth. Fuck that. I'm not staying here. I'm going to do whatever I can to get the hell out of there. But if you're already defeated psychologically, because- you didn't have a father that that loved you, that didn't father that like mentored you. You didn't have, um, you know, parents that supported you. Well, fuck, man, you, you're already defeated in your head. You're Now you're giving out all the signs and the symptoms and there's these predators out there. that are literally looking for that. Same thing with serial killers. They're always looking for people that are looking on the ground. They're kind of like, you know, walk like a shell of a person. They're not. Chest out, eyes out, looking at the perpetrator, like, fuck you. Like I can sense what you're up to. You come near me, I'm a I'm a fucking cut you, or I'm gonna I'm gonna do something. I'm not, I'm not an easy target. And that's what they're looking for. You know, just basic human physiology. You look down, you're a shovel person, you're not, you know, you you almost look nervous and scared. Um, you're just not paying attention. You're glued to your goddamn phone, you know, you know, sucking in the algorithm. I'm I'm just saying, I think the prevent talking about prevention. Isn't just as just as important as talking about this this uh, this cancer that we have, kind of growing across the globe and specifically in the United States. So just so think about that, because that that you know, because when we go down this rabbit hole, it's hard not to feel helpless. Because you're like, fuck, man. Like you look at these numbers, you look at these statistics, you're like, how the hell are we ever going to be able to reel that back? But it literally starts with the immediate influence that you have within your own circle as a man, especially as a man.
1: It's, it's interesting, all of those points. It's also in the prevention side, it's all the stuff that leads to crime rates and people, you know, taken on debt or no opportunity. Are the, the more desperate people are they going to be the ones who are going to end up stuck in these situations. So there's a lot of stats around the economic. Uh, opportunity that that's, that society has, that community has. And when those are growing, you're gonna have less of this stuff. There's also some stats I saw in Australia where they, they plotted all the different suburbs or the zip codes, postcodes we call them in Australia, for crime. And their initial thought was it was going to be like a straight line plot of like the the wealthy suburbs have very low crime and the the lower socioeconomic, the lower income suburbs are going to have high crime and it was pretty much not not correlated at all it was a random plot and they plotted all these different factors on the two axes of the graph and the one where there was like a straight line plot was the number of community clubs and community events things that are open for people to participate in and it didn't have to be a rich town or whatever it could be a little rural you know small town in outback australia but if there was football clubs and there's bowling clubs and there's Lions or other community clubs where people can get involved in the community, the crime rate plummets. And it's when there's the absence of that stuff. There's not a sense of community. There's not mentoring happening from the older generation down and people are getting involved and learning that whole saying of it takes a village. The crime rate plummets. And so so you think the solution doesn't have to be... um, superman busting down a door the solution doesn't have to be you know picking all these perverts up off the streets before anything happens the solution can be stuff that's really simple it can be getting involved in communities in the community you live in it can be getting in and encouraging and joining a scout group and co- and helping kids or joining a local sporting team and, and coaching you know, volunteering and stuff. like That's one of the solutions that's open to all of us. And there's going to be some specialised solutions that are going to be open to people, some of whom are Mike's mates. But, you know, just to counter that sense of hopelessness that can, can rise up. Have faith that you can make a difference in your local community. That's saying you do what you can with what you've got where you are. That uh, Hammy uh, Hamilton mentioned a couple of weeks ago, It doesn't have to be something global that's beyond you and bigger than you. Like, you can make a difference where you are. You can get involved with these kids that Raf's talking about, and you can teach them, you know, give them that confidence to face the world with their eyes up and their their shoulders back, you know. And that can, you know, now it's a prevention. You, You take prevention in this area over a cure a thousand times, right? You just would not ever want to be involved in it. So... Don't make the solution bigger than it has to be. And it can be a local grassroots thing you can get involved in. And every person out there who's got involved in a community group, like hats off to you, pat yourself on the back. You you are engaged in furthering the cause we're talking about here in this area and in many other areas.
0: Yeah. And the other piece of prevention is if you, like, again, if you don't have the ability to go down, kick down doors with Mike's Mike's friends, you know, you can always also donate. There's tons of organizations out there really doing you could you could support organizations like because they do take a lot of you know private funding to to pay for the logistics to get these out to you know all these places where they're finding these brothels full of children and it's just really disturbing stuff. But uh, you know, again, if you instead of spending your money on some bullshit latte in Starbucks, maybe put that towards an organization that's actually like fucking doing something, you know, that's legitimately just uh, make, making a difference. And, and listen, maybe they're not changing the world, but you just change that child's world. If they, if that child got rescued, I mean, you talk about plucking them out of hell. Um, but yeah, yeah. A thousand percent, an ounce of prevention is better than a cure. I would, I would vastly, I don't think anyone's going to dispute that. And then the other thing to think about, especially in this modern age is, you know, grooming on the internet is a real thing. It is a real, and I have a personal story and I'll leave the details out. With names, because it's it's an extension of the family that kind of fell into something similar to this, um, where she thought she's a young teenage girl, she thought she was talking to another boy. Turns out it was an older man who was promising her to take her overseas on some vacation, and it was another family member who kind of caught on and saw some red flags and, and questioned, and then once they dug a little bit deeper, realized that this und- the individual on the other side wasn't who he claimed he was. Uh, So you've got an older man trying to lure a young at the time. I think she was 15. uh, And she listen, the crazy part is I was listening to all this. And I remember her acting like this was all real. And it wasn't until another adult kind of said something is like there's flags here and started digging, started just asking her questions like, "Okay, so how'd you guys meet? Oh, we met online. Well, how do you know he is who he is? Well, because he sends me pictures. Well, how do you know they're his pictures? You know, just, and then the more the questions kept asking. And finally, that adult made, through another person, made contact and realized that that was not the person that this young girl thought it was. And uh, again, part of that, part of the problem was that that girl's father is not very involved. So again, as a man, your job is to love your children, to be engaged, to, to be that that resource when your child gets in trouble, right? And hopefully it doesn't go down that road. But, you know, if you're engaged, you'll know there's flags and you'll be like, hold on now, who's this boy? Yeah, Yeah. tell him to FaceTime me. We're gonna have a conversation, right? Like there's just, there's there's things that we can do and that we should do, not that can we, we should be doing.
1: That is such a great point. You've just raised rough that there was an older relative who was able to pick up on the red flags and for them to ask questions. And for that child, that young girl to answer, honestly, they had to have had a relationship based in trust. And it couldn't have been the first conversation. It couldn't have been someone coming in going, I think I've picked up on something here. You need to tell me. It's someone who's been involved in that girl's life, who's been talking, has been, you know, a web of communications occurred over many years. It's left them in a position where they could ask those questions and that child can give the answers honest answers of what's happening to them and not feeling self-conscious or you know that that something bad's going to happen to them and yeah. so all of those small conversations over all of those years is building to something that you can rely on and you might need it and it could be your own kids it could be the neighbor kids it could be relatives it could be family friends
0: cool. yeah and and the uh, it's interesting because the, the 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 initial thing that kind of cued the questions and the curiosity from this older adult was that this child kept talking about going to a specific country like oh you know and it's like what's your fascination with this country I'm like i don't know and wanted to learn the language and just wouldn't let go about going and 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 then it, it eventually it kind of led to well you know i'm i have a, a boyfriend and he he wants to take me there and he's like what what 16 year old boy has the funding to take another you know like so again, a bunch of stuff wasn't adding up and and so, you know, she promptly started asking questions and and told the father and and so anyways. It just it I've always heard about that stuff, but I actually saw it play out and that shit is real. There are there are people out there that literally spend time doing this shit. Um it, so just take that for what it's worth. You know, you think you know, it's easy to think, well, not me, not me. This is some this is happening somewhere. No, 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 no. This can ab- absolutely be you. This can a thousand percent be you and, or your child. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Love your children, engage, ask questions, be part of their life. If you're part of their life, you'll know when something isn't right. Yeah.
2: <clears throat> Wholeheartedly agree. I mean, you guys are crushing this. I mean, I'm just kind of listening and thinking about some things myself. Uh, and I, I, again, I wrote some, some notes down. Uh, one thing Raf was talking about donating and a lot of people think it's just like the rescue and it's like, Hey, we got you out of this place, but what there's a massive lack of is aftercare, right? A lot of these children are addicted to drugs because the, the, uh, traffickers get them hooked on it. So you got an eight year old that's addicted to heroin, you know, but that's how they control them. What happens after the rescue, right? What if they're being raped? boys and girls, right? There's a lot of medical stuff that has to go on. That's a lot of aftercare funding, uh, doctors, supplies, medicine, like lot psychological uh, treatment, right? I mean, you can only imagine. This is a not a quick process. This is a long, probably the rest of their life of trying to do stuff. So there are lots of ways to get involved if you do plan on donating. I just I just say, hey, make sure you do your, your good research, sit down with the people of the organization, ask the hard questions, and make sure the money's going to the right thing. Because unfortunately, there are people and organizations out there who use it to just pull in funds and don't use it for what they're saying. Uh, I, I've already yeah. seen that. Go ahead, Melon. Maybe
1: the three of us can just have a quick word when we're done, and we can get a couple of organizations that we know, Raff has referred to the Underground Railroad, and um, Mike, you've got friends who are in this area. They might have some really good knowledge of the effective charity and the effective organisations that we can donate to, and we can put them in the uh, resources along with the in the show notes for people to, to to follow up.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I have I have a couple little things here uh, for the end uh, when we're ready to uh, sign off here too as well. So
1: yeah, I yeah. think go ahead
2: there. Yeah, yeah. So. I I know we're coming up on time and, you know, this this could be a whole 10 episode thing of different things about it. But if you're listening to this and, you know, we talk about, well, we all have busy lives and the stuff that we're going on to. And it's just there's this massive problem that nobody wants to talk about. Right. It's the elephant in the room. It's intimidating. I get it. It's a lot of shit. And probably your first initial reaction is going to be why? Like, I can't beat this battle. Right. I can't do anything as one thing. And Raph beat me to it because he's that good. And we're like one brain sometimes. But why should you act? Why should you do this? It's easy. You can't change the world for, you can't change the world as one person, but you can change the world for one person. And that should mean something to you. Whether it's your kid, whether it's a family member, your best friend, a stranger's kid you'd never met. If you are able to step in and save a life and be able to be there and pull them out of that darkness. What do you have to be ashamed about? It is all worth it. Every single minute and the, 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 the 10 seconds that you took to write a note and slip it to them or to tell somebody or call someone and get somebody in there capable, if you're not able, to get in there and change the world for one single person Maybe one day on your deathbed, you can look back and go, yeah, I did a lot of bad things, but I know I did at least one damn good thing. Right? And that's enough. And that's worth it. Uh, I'll leave it with, uh, we'll put these in the show notes as well, but there are a couple ways that you can uh, get a hold if you do suspect something. There is the National Human Trafficking Hotline, and that number is one eight 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 three seven three seven eight eight eight. If you're not able to call, you can text at 233 733. And then you could also look at information and other ways to contribute and do other things by visiting uh, https human trafficking hotline.org. Uh, you can go to that, which is in the show notes as well. And these are all great ways to get some education on it, learn how to donate, and learn some, uh, some resources that you can use actively uh, while you're out and about. Or if you're sitting at home, sitting there figuring out how can I contribute and, uh, you know, <laughs> change the world for one person out there that needs it. And they're, they're sitting there praying for, to to God, for someone to come rescue them. Right. And, uh, you know, we're not, we're not God. We're not, we're not Jesus or anything like that, but, um, damn, we're, we're, we're sure going to try to put up the good fight and, and, and do the right thing.
0: Yeah. I'll, um, I'll just, since we're gonna wrap up, um, the only thing I was gonna say is uh Tim Tebow, the football player, also has the Tim Tebow Foundation and they actually do really extraordinary work. Um, a lot of their kind of what Mike alluded to, it's they deal with a lot of the after effects. So once the young woman has been rescued, um, you know, she she needs to learn a skill, she needs a home, she needs a safe place to kind of get uh assimilated back into society. And so they built a couple homes. I think they're on to like their third, where just from donations, they were able to build these. Kind of lit, like dormitory um, school types, you know, places where women learn like a skill and, and obviously they're in a safe place. And um, I know they have one in the Philippines. They have one, I want to say, in Central or South America. And I think uh, they're working on one in Africa. I mean, just Tim Tebow is the, is the fucking saint, first of all. Um, anyone who hates Tim Tebow is probably going to go to hell because that dude has done more for humanity. You know, when he actually and it's and the reason I'm so impressed with him and the life he's chosen is because he he's had the option to go the other way. Right. Famous, good looking football player with millions and millions. And it's it you can tell that it's the least of his worries. Like he could give two fucks (laughs) what and what his stats and his scores are. I mean, literally, this is what he's uh, devoted himself to. So it's he's a pretty extraordinary person to watch. Um, But, yeah, Tim Tebow Foundation, I've been really impressed with some of the stuff that they've been doing. Um, and so they're definitely worth checking out.
1: Great stuff. Well, Ralph, thanks very much for bringing us uh, the topic. It's a difficult topic, but um you know we really try not to shy away from those topics. And you know, do what you can with what you've got where you are, get active in your community, have a look at some of these organizations you can donate to, and see if we can't just all make a difference together. So until next week, Take care, stay safe, and we'll see you then.